Joining me today, a man who needs no introduction, longtime friend of the show, multiple uh, appearances on the show, no SSH JJ. JJ, welcome back. Hello, sir. How are you? We're doing fantastic. Uh, you know, the powers that be, the scheduling gods that uh, did not work out. So you uh, were so nice to jump on because, you know, it's time to talk about exciting things in tech and uh, you always have great takes. So I appreciate you getting on. And JJ, I want to start with an important question for you. Um, tipping. Tipping has come up a lot here on Software Defined Talk. I think we've, we've, we've talked it before, but some people have actually gone out and done some work, done some research here. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. It's uh, There's a, basically a guide, an around-the-world guide to tipping. So we'll start with our home country here, the United States. Uh, without looking, without cheating, do you mm-hmm. know what we're, how the, the percent amount we're supposed to be t- tipping right now? So what I've been told by my wife at least to do, because I, I do whatever she tells me to do, um, is I take the tax, mm-hmm. move the decimal point, and uh-huh, double and dub- it. And double it. So that's like here in Texas, it's eight and a half. So double that, right? So seven, So you're like a 17-ish uh, percent tipper. And then I guess it gets into the nuance of like, are you tipping with the tax included? Right. Or are you tipping? So I guess in your case, you're not. You're sort of just using that as the way to do it. Because that's another like, which which actual number are you tipping on? I think most people would say tip on the uh, before they apply the tax. So you're, I would, I'm going to say you're in the range of what I thought was appropriate. Somewhere like 15, 17, just on like, you know, good, good service. And then you can I, go up. Go ahead. Yeah. I also like round numbers too. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I, so that's how I know that I actually paid for this thing. If I look mm-hmm. at my bill and I see round numbers, so if my credit card ever gets stolen, someone's going to, someone's go buy something with a weird number at the end of it. And I'm like, aha, that wasn't me. Yes. But if it's like $5 exactly, or, you know, like $10 exactly, sometimes I, I bump it up to that. I don't obviously never go down, but I right. always kind of yeah, aim you round to the, the next, round. yeah, kind of exactly. the next integer or whatever. Okay. So I like that idea. That's a good little error way to do it. So Evidently, I think um, it sounds like we're now supposed to be twenty doing twenty percent. So I, I want to apologize yeah. to everyone that I've like. I think sometimes I I tip twenty percent, but it's probably by accident. It's not a deliberate act. So <laughs> that's that's good to know on this thing. Now I feel like uh, people will say like Europe, there's no tipping in Europe. Is that like is, like if I would have asked you that question because this thing says that there is some tipping in Europe, but like I don't I don't know. Like you travel probably more than me. Are you tipping in Europe these days? What's happening over there? So I immediately get uh, uh, pegged as an American because Uh I tip. Like they're like, oh, he's an American. And all of a sudden I get really good service wherever I've, I remember very, very um, vivid memories of going to different Marriott's in Europe and they am immediately identifying the Americans and always like, like circling them to make sure they always had their beer or their drinks or whatever, because they knew that we were going to tip 20% on top of what they what they're already making. So in the best theory of what tipping is supposed to do, right? Like that's what a tip is, right? Like it's unlike our here in the U S where tipping is just assumed because it's to help people out. Tipping originally was designed to like get better service or whatever, right? Like that was the original concept of a tip. Um, It really works that way in Europe and, uh, right, it's I novel enough that. that people sort of like they, that's okay, the word I'm so looking for. Novel, what, yes, yeah, because it's interesting because it's it's really only you know ten percent in Europe, and then um, there's a bunch of countries on here, a little bit of South America and other places. There's like the five ten percent, and then there's uh, pretty much all of Australia, New Zealand, where there's no tipping. That's what there's. It's they're they're the uh, the blue, and it's just like that's the world. I want to live in. I want to, because that's the no think world. It's just like you just pay whatever the bill is and you move on. So I feel lucky, but you, it looks like you have something to say there. What What is your yeah. take on the Australia tipping? Actually, not the Australia. It was China. That mm-hmm. was the one. That was the one I still have a very vivid memory. Now that I'm actually thinking about this more, um, when I flew into China before COVID, um, didn't fly during COVID, of course, but before COVID was uh, it was the um, uh, CNCF or the KubeCon Shanghai. I remember flying in and then getting in a taxi to get to the, the hotel and I didn't have any cash. 
Mm-hmm. And I went into the, the, the hotel to get some cash and put it out. I didn't know what the currency, like I didn't understand what a good tip was. <laughs> right. So I just like gave him a bunch of the bills. I was like, uh, it was also like, I don't know, like four in the morning for me. I didn't, right. I didn't know what was going on. And uh-huh. I remember his eyes just getting huge, just like, what's going on here? Why are you doing this? And uh, I, I'm just like, I, I don't know, man, just, just take the money and go. And he, he just walked away with this massive smile on his face. So I less, I, a lesson learned, if you can't speak the language and you don't know what it is, just give taxi drivers money and just, just walk away. <laughs> just, yeah. Just well, when away. in doubt, it's always just give more money. Like if there's ever exactly. like a doubt, just, just give more money and you're going to be more. fine. And, and hopefully it's not like a huge sum of money that you can't like you feel. I, uh, I, gen- I feel still don't actually know how much it was. I, I, well, I, that's I, even worse. Like I've been there many times in another country, although it's gotten a lot better with the Euro and stuff. Like there was a time when you like, we'd be in Europe and switch between the countries and it would be like, you have to really get a calculator out. And you're like, what is your currency here? Like what's the going fuck is on? A kroner? So, I don't, yeah, I don't know that was, I was about to say the same thing. That was always the one you're like, uh oh, we're in trouble now. Like, we got weird yep. coins and like we can't even really say the currency. So, all right. So, this is a good um, guide. So, this is, I think we have a lot of uh, international travelers here. So, this is good. I'm going to use it. I'm going to up my game. I'm going to make sure I'm tipping 20%. Now, the other thing that came up in another article that I read was uh, kind of this idea that like, you know, tipping has sort of grown. It's gotten kind of weird. Like, there's more and more places of tipping. Now, I, um, feel some real social awkwardness lately with like the fast casual restaurant right where it's like they Mm. swing around the square terminal or the payment Mm -hmm. terminal Mm -hmm. in like um you know or like at a chipotle anywhere right and it's sort of like i'm just anticipating or i've been trained to anticipate like i'm just at that moment i'm just gonna pay whatever it is right Mm. and most of these now are now then asking me like they have the three buttons like it's like yeah it's like 18, 22 or 25 or something. Right. And then there's like a, off to the side, there's like enter custom amount. Right. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's like no tip. And, um, for the most part, I guess I haven't in throughout my life. I haven't, I don't know, like I haven't t- tipped in that situation very much. So it's always kind of a weird thing. Or sometimes at some places they'll actually run your card and then they'll just ask you, like, do you want to add yeah. a tip? Right? And you're kind of yeah. like, and before, like, before like, you wouldn't have added it, or at least I would not have added Tim. So it's like a real weird moment of like, hmm, what to do here? So my question is, and I always go back to like, and I've said this before, is like, I, my preference is just like, just tell me what the number is. I want to make sure everyone makes a fair wage. At the same time, I don't know. It gives me a little weird vibe. Like when they're like, when I'm just kind of up there and maybe I just haven't adjusted, right? Um, and I'm always like, I don't necessarily want to say no, but I'm not, I don't feel overly generous generous. And I always wonder like if it's just some type of social uh, manipulation, right? If you just sort of put someone in a situation, you kind of like, you'll just pay extra kind of like you were talking about taxi cats, just so you're not offending anyone, you know, even yeah. though you may or may not know what's going on. So two questions, have you encountered this? And then how, how are you dealing with this? How do you figure this out? Yeah, no, um, I know for a fact, and I think I, I made a joke with somebody at, at one of those tills once, which is like, do you watch where my finger goes? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Just and sure, like, of course they do, right? Yeah. As long as you put it in the, your finger in the center, there's no no judgment because that's usually a reasonable amount of money. Which is, I think that I think from from my like, I think at Chipotle it was like twenty twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, that's usually what I would do anyway. So that seems fine. Um, but if he he says if you like move your finger back and forth, um, that's that's there's something fishy going on. Mm, um, so for, for me, mm-hmm. for me, I just, I just target the middle and just call it a day. Um, but, uh, did you, j- just to kind of take this off on a tangent, did you hear recently, I think it was a rather large pharmacy that starts with a C and ends with an S. Um, <laughs> they, you know, that donation thing at the end, uh, where they're like, do you want to yeah. donate like a dollar yeah, to, that. yeah, the, that's another the, one. Like, do you want to donate a dollar to a charity or something? Uh-huh. Uh, well, there's specifically the JD, JDRF, and if if your audience doesn't know, I'm a, I'm a type one diabetic, so every every once in a while I mention it, and I prefer people to know than not because if mm-hmm. I'm you know over in a corner in a weird weird state and you see me, give me some orange juice and a candy bar, everything's great. Um, but it turns out the the JDRF found out that that company uh, was not actually donating that money. Oh, they really? put it they put it into their own donation fund, and then that fund in theory was supposed to go to the JDRF, but it wasn't actually, it was going to another mm. organization. Okay. So there was this whole weird like issue. I'll see if I can find the link about it, but it was really, really interesting because 
turns out those when they're trying to if they say uh, add that extra dollar or round up or whatever, right? Be skeptical because there's no there's no enforcement on those things. Now that one I am like I have maybe I'm just like naturally skeptical. They're like always because I know I felt like for sure all those places are kind of using that social uh, anxiety. They're trying to create it. Like, do you want to add a dollar, right? So that they get more th- uh, donations, which is fine. But like any type of charity stuff, it's like, so this is really difficult. Like, I think it's always best if, you know, uh, when you're giving charitable donations, like take some time, do some mm-hmm. research, maybe find some causes close to you, uh, but just know enough about it to be like, I know it's going to get there and like, give, give that one more. Right. Exactly. And you know, sort of like these other ones, I would almost, you know, I think it's better off, like, unless you really know it. And I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to like accuse like broad base, like every one of these is wrong, but it's just like, you don't, you're not in a position, right? When someone asks you at that moment, like you don't necessarily know the cause, you don't know necessarily know mm-hmm. the charity. Like, even if you are a charitable person, sometimes like, you know, giving tons of money that way may or may not, you know, be a goal that you want. So I, I think that one, I don't know, I guess that one has like broken through. Like I have no problem. Like I have yeah. not, I don't even nope. blink an eye where I'm just like, <laughs> no, I, I will do that. Uh, because the other one though, is just more like, it, it's kind of that uh, yin and yang of like, I want the person that is asking me for this tip and the wait staff and the, mm-hmm. um, all of them, I want them to make a decent wage. Cause I know exactly. it's complicated here in the United States, but at the same time, I don't want to constantly, you know, just let people kind of exploit you a little bit. Right. So, so it is, so it's difficult. So I think what we've learned here, the, the winner in all of this is Australia. Cause like, yes. I'm, I guess they just pay more for, um, and New Zealand, I guess. And I guess you said China, I guess they, their bills are higher, but like, man, I, what I would give to just like, just never have to think about this again. I would mm-hmm. absolutely do that. So, um, and maybe you know, in this Why one we case, have our, why don't we have our money, like with the taxes, why are they not rolled into the cost? Like, why do I need to know what the taxes are? Like, give me a round number. So like a candy bar, a dollar. Why can't we just call it a dollar? Not a dollar, 8.25. I hate that. So give me round. Should I talk about time zones while we're at it too? And no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll end it there. So I think, you know, in some ways, you know, Australia is sort of like, uh, they won't like this, but it's like, I don't know. In some ways they, uh, you know, sort of like an American do-over. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. oh, when we start it, we're going to fix some of these stupid problems you Americans uh, created. <laughs> exactly. uh, although I don't even know the history. So now I need to look back to see like which country like was maybe uh, first, but like they did a good job. Either, either, either they did it right or we didn't follow them. Cause like we do have these weird things. So at least on those uh, two areas, it's fine. Although they're as, as Matt Ray's been explaining, I still think you know, kind of their slang is not good. Australian slang, not good. It seems very puppy sized spiders, not great. Yeah, puppy sized spiders, not great. So not don't great. get like Australia. Like while you're down there living in your world of uh, not having to give tips, don't get a big head. Like because we exactly. still have a lot of issues with yeah. what's going on. Down barbecue. There, so our barbecue yeah, is so yeah, much better. Yeah, don't yeah. even get us on the food. That's a whole nother thing. So, um. All right, well, JJ, we know one of the things I know we were talking about, and one of the reasons I thought it'd be good to bring you on is that, you know, there's the kind of the movement to Mastodon. So we all know it's been well covered on uh, every conceivable news publication about Twitter and all the craziness that's going on in Twitter. So I'm more interested in like the future, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it does seem like, so I, I think I said on this podcast that, you know, my initial thought was like, well, the status quo will be so strong that people will stay on Twitter, but- I will say, I guess it has risen to my knowledge that like, okay, there are people moving to Mastodon. And I think, you know, this audience and um, I'll just call it like the broad technical audience seems to be one of the audiences that can, you know, easily move over. It doesn't seem like the learning curve of the sign up is like that complicated. Uh, So I thought we would start with, you know, you pointed this out. It's like, one, you're on Mastodon. Two is are you getting any value of it? And then tell us about, you know, ivory. This seems to be like yeah. all the, all the Mastodon people are talking about ivory. So, you know, give us, give us your overview, your impression of Mastodon and what you're doing to, to get known over there. Absolutely. Okay. So the TLDR of Mastodon from a technology standpoint, just to make sure that we level set this foundational knowledge is Mastodon obviously is the open source Twitter platform, but you're probably wondering about all the different servers and all that jazz. Don't worry about that. It's like your email address. But the beauty of this one is it can travel with you. So it's like a public email service. So if you disappear, uh, your Hotmail address disappears, Yahoo can, you can put your same that uh, followers on Yahoo and everything's great. So if you imagine it like a public email, it makes more sense. So you don't have to worry about the servers at all. That's a very important detail to know. So when you start seeing people travel around to the different Mastodon servers, those followers continue following around with them. 
Now, let's pause I right will... there because because yeah. this is I think the first question. So let's make it easy for people. All right, if yeah. they want to get started, what server should they sign up for? Yes. <laughs> well, which one? Because <laughs> you're on. I'm on what Hatchyderm, right? Which was yeah. honestly that was just one that was. Uh, recommended in the software defined talk slack mm-hmm. and then i think you're on which one are you on social uh Mastodon Mastodon social? social which uh, is yeah, probably which the is one like that's flags. most popular right yeah. they're the flagship one mm-hmm. um but they shut now, down signups i think right yes yes they did okay. and i also signed up like years ago on it um mainly because i i saw this come down and i anyway point being i signed up years ago on it and and the challenge is is the idea is you're supposed to have like a small community around it Mm-hmm. Because there's multiple different ways of getting uh, the the firehose feed from Twitter on a Mastodon server, if you right. will. I'm using I'm, I'm overloading the terms here, um, but the idea of like Hackyderm is uh, a bunch of technologists in our space. Uh, frankly, a lot of SDT listeners would probably be very interested in Hackyderm because a lot of people they know are on it, and you can see the direct feed of what they they are all posting at that moment. It's called the local feed line. And then the federated one is anything that Hatchyderm is connected to gets all that um, all that feed into it, which for something like Mastodon Social for me is a bunch of trash, right? Like stuff I don't care about and people I have no idea who they are. Compared to Hatchyderm, which if you go into the, um, the local feed, you'll see people like Brandon on there. You'll see, you'll see a bunch of different people, which is nice to know. Um, I do want to to mention that the reason why probably Mastodon is finally taking off and people have gravitated around to it was because the technologists finally found a space to not have to worry about all the promoted tweets or the promoted information and just actually pull legitimate information from it, which is nice. And you have direct access to the people that you normally would be having access to instead of like a, a Slack team or a Slack workspace, right? Um, using something like uh, Mastodon, you have a much larger audience of where it's a public, more public space that anybody can promote that tw- uh, that toot. I think it's called a toot now, um, <laughs> yep. which is weird. But they they changed it because they didn't. Re- the according to the the guy who created Mastodon, he didn't realize what toot was in English, so <laughs> <laughs> that's why the buttons turned to publish <laughs> because. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but the the term is still toot, um, which is funny. Right, and I think what you're getting um, on there, so I'm I'm gonna put a link into it. It's like I guess we should learn how to say it. I guess it's it hacky or hatchy. I don't know hatchy. Anyway, I'll put a link in there. So we'll term, call that the uh, unofficial SDT Mastodon server. I mean, why not? Like a lot of us would yeah. like you said. So if you have no uh, nowhere else to go, give that one a shot. And I do think what you're kind of getting at, and this is I guess maybe my thinking lately about it was, you know the it's like the strength weaknesses arguments. Like people would say, well, not everyone um, I follow on Twitter or not everyone on Twitter mm-hmm. is there. And it's like, yes, that is the weakness. Yes. That is the strength. Cause I almost feel like exactly. it's a chance to like kind of rebuild, um, yeah. you know, what your, you know, your feed, right. Both like the people okay. you follow and maybe also, um, you know, if you will, your persona, what you want to post about. And I do think yeah. there's been enough people that if you're listening to this podcast, I was going to say, I think you're you're the type of person. There's enough of this kind of community over there that it's worth at least checking out. Like, so if you've been on the fence, because uh, when you get there, you'll be like, yeah, you'll find a lot of um, this kind of talk. Now, I think what you won't find is a lot of the more mainstream. Like, I would say, yes. like major news publications, sports, politics, popular culture, celebrities. Um, again, future ah. a bug, right? We can kind of like we can make that argument. Go ahead. So it turns out um, you, you you stepped on an interesting point there which is one of my um, personal projects I got off the ground was uh, I used Twitter or I used Twitter to, for my newsfeed um, uh-huh. with CNN breaking news, CNN and NPR. Um, by the way, if you're thinking about donating, NPR is a good idea. Just had to throw that in there. Um, but it turns out I actually wrote a little scraper on Twitter uh, through my like username that actually reposts to Mastodon from those three outlets. So it turns out um, I actually have like 1,100, 1,200 followers of my NPR uh, retweet or retoot um, <laughs> because it's so quick. So uh-huh. people are actually following my little like bot that takes directly from Twitter every two minutes, looks for any new new posts from uh, 
from uh, NPR and pushes it into the metaverse or the the metaverse the fe- the fediverse with that little toot, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, so and there's a bunch of that. You, I think you'll yeah. find a bunch of bot accounts, and people are generally pretty good. They label them as bots yeah. that are exactly. a lot of cross posting. So I think that's exactly. another thing. If if you are just looking for cross post, you can probably find the accounts somewhere in the Fediverse, if you will, uh, exactly. around. So I think that's been good too. So I think if you want to recreate the similar experience, I think that that's actually uh, pretty good. Now, the other thing I wanted to get your take on was uh, there's been a lot of talk about the mobile client and maybe this is yeah. where you can, you can uh, go ahead. Like everybody, I feel like certain people are hearing this and they never want to hear about ivory again. Cause that's all anyone's talking about. <laughs> and other people have no idea what we're talking about. So tell us what ivory is and like, why is it to the Mastodon uh, user base? Why are they so excited by it? Well, there's a gentleman that we have in common named Matt Ray that introduced me to something called Tweetbot many years ago. And uh, he showed me the power of being able to create uh, lists inside of Tweetbot that weren't public to look for exactly what you were looking for. Matt, I love you, buddy. You still you still influence me to this day. Um, well, Ivory is the equivalent of that. Um, the same people who were writing it, the same three humans uh, for Mastodon. Now, this is before uh, TweetDeck was purchased by Twitter. So if you're a TweetDeck user... Um, now you'll see a lot of the same things inside of, uh, Tweetbot, which no longer exists. Ivory is the same analogous to that, where it is the idea of using something like TweetDeck in a, an app on your phone. It is unbelievably powerful. It is brand new, but it is unbelievably powerful. And there is a TweetDeck-like experience in Mastodon. It's called the Advanced User in- or Advanced Web Interface you can turn on, which by the way, you absolutely should, uh, to get the live feeds of, or the, the instant feeds, I guess is a, is a better word for it, um, uh, inside of Mastodon. But then when Ivory comes out for the iOS or sorry, the Mac OS, I'll actually probably pull myself completely out of the web front end for Mastodon and just use Ivory because it travels with you. The, yeah. um, same, same searches and all that comes into Ivory, the, the, the iOS app, so I can get the exact same feeds and, and be able to filter how I'm looking for. Yeah, no, I think it's really good. And so, um, because so many people were talking about it, I downloaded it and I guess it's still in like a, they call it preview, but it's an excellent iOS app. Yes. And um, it really it's from a group of people that really know how to build iOS apps. So like, as soon as you get it, like it has like, you know, that snappiness, you're like, oh, this thing's like super fast. You could tell. And it's a yeah. lot faster than uh, most of the other clients. And I think, uh, I think, it's the same group. They make, uh, I think they make PaceBot, which I really like. That's another yep. clipboard manager. I mean, there's a lot of those out there, but I think it's really good. But, you know, and in fact, now we should say like, you have to pay for it. That's one thing. Yes. There's like a yearly subscription. I think it's like $15, 15 ish dollars. Um, but then, you know, I really like their marketing. Their marketing was like something like, we're not going to sell you a lot on features. We're just going to promise you a great experience. And that's pretty much what you get, right? You just yep. get this really snap. And I will think, you know, that part of it is, seems like an absolute drop in replacement, uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, your Twitter mobile experience. It's like, you just like, once you get it, you're like, oh yeah, this is just, you know, you've been exactly. using Twitter. I mean, you can do some of the advanced stuff you had, but like, you can also just do like the basic stuff. Like you can have multiple accounts, you can switch it. So I can't, I'm- um, if you're going to do it. And I think this is kind of an interesting, uh, thought about like, you know, this is a little bit of like open community, open source kind of talk here. It's like, well, you know, we kind of always say we want this and like, well, here's an example, right? Like they, they have this protocol and like mm-hmm. you're saying, um, it feels like for a lot of people that are coming from Twitter in this world that the Ivory interface is going to become the Mastodon interface, right? And that's mm-hmm. sort of the dream, mm-hmm. right? The dream is like, if this is what you want, you can have it this way. Or if you want a different Mastodon experience, you can use the out-of-the-box one, or you can probably use one of like what I assume are millions of clients that are on their way. So I guess that's a long uh, pitch. Now, if you want to hear uh, <laughs> kind of a long interview, uh, I think it's Craig... Hackenberry, I think he's one of the developers, right? Like uh, he was on the uh, the talk show with John Gruber, and uh, <laughs> I would almost describe it for him as like a group therapy because he kind of like <laughs> goes through like how they got there and all of his experience with Twitter and just you know you can tell he's been through like like this whole team has been through like fifteen <laughs> rounds uh, with a billionaire and it's like it's not gone well. They're just like yeah. super unhappy about everything. But you know, to their uh, credit, they have channeled. 
a lot of uh, energy into building something new. So, uh, and that's kind of what I, I finally, that kind of got me over the hump. I was like, okay, well, these people are really putting a lot of effort. Like, let's go check it out. And of course, like, you know, it's going to be up to the broader community, like, you know, whether, you know, this functionality exists at all, does some type of newsfeed product continue mm-hmm. on? Does everyone just live on with Twitter or does, you know, enough uh, people move to Mastodon? And I think this stuff always starts slow. Like, you know, I just think this mm-hmm. is what you always find. It's like, you know, it'll be super slow. And then if it takes off, it'll feel like it happens overnight or it may just never happen, period. Right. So I genuinely that's the other believe, mm-hmm. I genuinely believe when our biggest, like, not reinvent because reinvent was back in November, but we are right. at that cusp right now um, where the next major conference, which frankly is probably going to be KubeCon, right? Um, that I can think of off the top of my head. If people start hashtagging KubeCon on Mastodon and we start paying attention to those toots on Mastodon, that will be the sign that we have more or less moved completely away from Twitter. As soon as that, right. as soon as that KubeCon um, hashtag shows up on Mastodon and people actually engage with it and people search for it, especially through ivory. It will be that, that is the sign that the, the nerds have left Twitter completely. I think you're right. Because I think if you go back in time, Twitter's big boost came, uh, partly because of, uh, South by South West mm-hmm. way back. They came back and it was like, I don't know, they got some like thousands of people using it on like one weekend. It really kind of like became mainstream, uh, at that point. So that's my question going forward is like, does Mastodon, you know, have that moment? Like you said, maybe it is one of the big tech conferences because at some point, if there's enough people there, people will figure it out. And I don't think it's really complicated. I think it's one of those, like, people just like, don't like new and I get it. Like I'm kind of the same thing, you know, defaults lifestyle, right? Just use what's there. But uh, in this case, it's like, once you kind of figure out you want to do it, it's pretty simple. It's not, so, you know, so I guess I kind of feel like, um, you know, I'm, I won't say I'm like early to this one. It's been out there for a long time, but it's like, okay, well, there's enough people. It's like a small restaurant. Like, it's like, okay, well, there's enough. It's going to be open. They have some good tacos. We should go check it out. We should put it on the list. And then, you know, hopefully over time it'll grow. So uh, you mentioned hashtags. I wonder if there's any other hacks you have for like uh, finding people. So, you know, like obviously you can just kind of look up Twitter uh, names. There's a thing called move to Don. So sometimes people, it'll do some kind of like, um, matching for you right it's like you know users mm-hmm. here um i don't know you got any favorite hashtags or any other ways to like if you will find interesting people to follow on mastodon um frankly just engaging engaging with the community having conversations there you'd be amazed on who will tag in someone else that you know especially with how small our community actually is when you when, when i love to talk about technologists people think that we we're we like have an insane amount of people that are actually like engaging day in and day out. Frankly, we don't, right? Like what do they say? Never burn a bridge. Cause you never know if you're going to work for someone <laughs> who you got fired from or whatever. Especially right now. It's super yeah, important. Exactly. Keep your bridges exactly. intact this week. Sure. <laughs> exactly. So, so same thing with Mastodon, right? You'll quickly, you'll quickly find the people you were finding on Twitter um, engaging with. But as someone who spends a lot of my effort to make sure I don't get advertised to, Right. Mastodon is a godsend for me because I don't see any promoted tweets. Like I don't see TV shows getting promoted and things like that. Like, or just like the mainstream advertising. Cause I, I, I can't stand it. Right. Like I just can't, like, I don't, I don't care. Right. Like I'm going to pay, I'm going to put my money where I want to put my money and I'm going to do the research. I don't want you to yell that stuff at me. And Mastodon is a wonderful place where that, that community has not found it yet. Yeah. Um, so, all but, right. So I think we should all try it. I think you should definitely follow the SDT Mastodon account, right? Because why not? And then you can look at like who follows that. That's how I, that's how I've been finding followers. Just like, okay, that's one way to get going. So, and then we'll check in, maybe we'll give it like another quarter or two and be like, all right, we'll come back and we'll see. Uh, Cause I am, I think it's a great, uh, I know it's a weird test case of like, you know, mm-hmm. network effect. Right. And it's like, yes. Can um, a bad experience somewhere actually spurn on, a new network and a new network effect at Mastodon. So we'll come back maybe in six months, we'll come back and we'll, we'll figure it out if it happened or not. So now in some other news, uh, the CEO Reed Hastings of Netflix has officially stepped down as CEO. He's going to be the executive mm-hmm. chairman. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, and they're now going to have uh, two co CEOs, which is uh, why well, don't know. Let me get your take JJ, like co CEOs. I feel like, Whenever I see co-CEOs, it means like a story in two years is going to come out and be like, there's only one CEO. But like, has this ever worked? Are you in favor of co-CEOs? God, no. No, no. (laughs) Um, 
from all my knowledge of our ecosystem and our, 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 our industry, there has never been a successful chairman and CEO split that, um, or co-CEOs. And I mean, the whole point of the chief executive officer is that they are the, what was the Harry Truman statement? The buck stops here yeah, or something like that, right? That is the whole point of that person's job. If you split it into two people, you don't have 50, 50 cents on that. 50 cent that okay i'm messing up my metaphors here but um it's it the point is is that is a horrible idea you're you are absolutely right there is someone's going to have been wanted by the board someone else in power has wanted that other person there and they're gonna for lack of a better term politically duke it out and the winner will come out the other person will get their payoff and we're gonna have a weird six months where we're just like, oh, they're co-CEOs. Oh, they're not really. They just wanted another yacht or something like that. I don't know. It would be okay. best if they did a Netflix documentary following the co-CEOs for the next 18 months. And then, you know. They always could, be like, building content. Yeah, always no matter what happens. Content. Right? You know, it's like kind of as we always say. It's like, hey, everything's content. Like, why not? Like, what actually exactly. goes on? But I do think <laughs> what I think is interesting about it and, you know, is it's sort of like. You know, there's this joke, right? We always make like, you know, uh, organizations ship their org chart, right? So it's like, you know, uh, what's the old joke? It's like, you've got uh, three teams working on a compiler. You have a three pass compiler, right? It's just sort of something like that. And it's like, and what I think here is uh, Ted Sarandos, who I think is mostly known as like, he's like the, the, uh, the movie person, the media person, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like determining what shows are, um, you know, figuring out what content, right? So it's sort of like a head of a a Hollywood studio. That's his background. And then I think Greg Peters, is more the product person, like, you know, operational, like, you know, how do we build the infrastructure? How do we deliver the movies? You know, maybe some of the behind the scenes, um, you know, technical stuff. And it's like, to me, that is kind of where Netflix is. It's like, is Netflix like a technical company? And I think that's Reed Hastings background as being a former, you know, entrepreneur that sold an IT company. I think that's where he sort of gravitates to. Right. And I think Ted was his compliment, right. It was like, I need somebody on the, uh, seen in Hollywood buying up the right movies. But now that he's sort of, you know, if you will, moving on to uh, a chairman role, not going to be as involved anymore. I think this is the struggle of the company. It's like, mm-hmm. is Netflix ultimately, are we going there because they have this great app and this great product and it's really easy to like find movies we want. And is that kind of the, if you will, the, um, the North star of Netflix, or is it just, Hey, they need to like make, you know, award-winning or uh, culturally popular films, like, you know, whether it be like some something like uh, the Marvel Universe or something along those lines. Uh, and that really is what's going to drive them. So it's like, if you were in charge of Netflix, and you, mm-hmm. uh, JJ, and I said to you, where are we going to focus in the future? Are we going to focus on building the best content? Or are we going to focus on building the best experience. And I'm not going to let you do the old, like, well, both, right. Cause I'm going to say, it's like, <laughs> no, we got we're, we're a ruthless. Uh, we're going to read like the Netflix culture doc. I don't know if it's even in there, but it's something like, you know, yeah. we can only like, if we have one priority, we've got to have what the priority is. We can't have two. So like, which thing would you put your emphasis on? Uh, frankly speaking, I would go with the, the content. I'd bring Santa Korea, Santa Korea diet back immediately with season three. <laughs> Okay. Just because that was a horrible ending to that series and they need to bring it back and, you know, fix I, that. I, okay. Like fix it. that, fix that. But f- frankly speaking, it's, it's a, it's a, sh- it's a show of how the legacy film studios, the, the, the paramounts of this world, the, the Fox people or Fox movie, Fox, what is it? The, the 20th century Fox, yep. 20th century Fox. Mm-hmm. All of them have not moved into this new environment that we live in. So what what is the new major movie studio? It's Netflix, right? And if they do not invest their time and effort in that space, those legacy film studios will eventually catch up. I don't know of a single person who actually pays for Paramount Plus, right? Nope. Like I genuinely, I, I know nope. it exists. Paramount Plus and uh, NBC Peacock are like the two like yeah. lowest used ones. So we're all like wondering like what's going on there, right? Exactly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Right. And it's them attempting to get up to catch up to what Netflix already has for their infrastructure. But I bet you know, you you yourself probably, and I bet you know, plenty of people pay for Disney plus, right? So Disney's a weird, like it's hard to, Disney has enough historical technical acumen 
mm-hmm. that they they were able to make that pivot relatively smoothly, right? And that whole ecosystem it, it makes sense. And Disney's Disney's an outlier when it comes to all like Disney's a 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to media companies. So you don't look at them. It's not, they're, they're their right. own I think they have study. the best catalog, right? They have the exactly. a catalog that sort of like is timeless. And then the other one I think is, you know, HBO, right? I think we'd have to throw, and that's all part of the, the I don't know what you would call it, the broader uh, like uh, HGTV and like that whole they're, brand. They're going to get bought. Uh, they're they're going to, or they're going to deprioritize their infrastructure and they're going to just sell their, their, um, their catalog or license their catalog to someone else. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming Amazon because Amazon has the infrastructure for the stuff and they're desperately buying stuff for Amazon prime. Um, I went through Amazon primes, like top 10 list last night, trying to find something to watch. Like I remember just sitting there with my wife trying to find something and I was like, I've, this is, this is all shit. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want, there's literally, I've either seen everything I've wanted, wanted to see already once and I'm not going to watch it again. And I go in there and there's just like nothing here. Yeah, no, no Prime. So and then, of course, Apple TV. Yeah. I think Apple TV has – they don't have as many shows. I think they have some good shows, but it's a much more niche audience. I don't think you know. Yes. I don't think they have that. So you know, what I think is interesting about this, looking back on this, though, is I have been amazed. I think if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said something like, well, man, you know, building a streaming service and all this technology, it's really hard. That's a huge mm-hmm. moat for Netflix. And, like, it turns out, like, while – I dislike the user interface of a lot of other apps, including Amazon. Like I don't like the mm-hmm. Amazon prime ex- video experience, but for example, like when the football games were on, like I just turned it on and I just watched it. And it was like, once I, once it started streaming, like never thought about it again. And I think that's like kind of a, I don't know what Reed Hastings would say. was like, you know, all that investment and stuff like that. And of course, Netflix has been in the Nintendo community and they have a, you know, I put a link to the tech blog, like, They've been out there like sharing open source projects like since the beginning. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. since the beginning of when they built the video stuff, they've been sharing things with the community. And I think many people, many projects have come out of there. They've given numerous talks. I know many of the people have left Netflix to go into other places and start like, you know, uh, like what Adrian Karkaroff, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's gone to a lot of places to help like move it on. So they were really um, I kind of see the, this like tech bellwether, but in the end, like I, I would say I, I did not have this right. It's like in the end, that really wasn't very defensible. Like it turns out like a good enough streaming service coupled with something you really want to watch content always wins, you know, content mm-hmm. always wins there, right? It's like, as long as it eventually works, I'll complain about it, but I'll watch it. If there's nothing to watch, mm-hmm. it kind of doesn't matter how great your app is. And I think that mm-hmm. is. I don't know, maybe it's obvious in retrospect, but I, I feel like Netflix's investment over so many years, you know, was sort of like projecting that that was going to be harder than it really was. What do you think? What is the statement? Um, copying is a serious form of flattery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen FUBU TV's streaming system? Uh-huh. It looks exactly like Netflix's like search for the stuff that you needed, you need to do compared to uh, Amazon Amazon Prime or whatever, right? Like the idea that so Netflix Netflix climbed that mountain to figure out how to get streaming working for the masses, right? right. But don't forget, they're also the ones who created the day or the day shipping or day mailing of DVDs. Mm-hmm. They created the of infrastructure course. for that too, yep. right? Like they've been able to pivot and create the infrastructure to get the media to you as easily as possible. Yeah. Now that they've yeah, now that they've hit that point, they've they've picked, uh, created the summit to that peak for getting media through streaming now. That's why I'm telling you they're going to go straight to content. To your point, because they're going to need to make that content because now it's now it's uh, what's the word commodity. Streaming yep. is now commodity, right? So they commoditize the market. Now what they do need to do is focus on creating content so people keep coming to their walled garden. And that's why I genuinely think they're going to keep keep innovating. Don't get me wrong; they're going to keep innovating. But they are going to absolutely start becoming a movie studio, a TV studio, because they are the future. All right, it comes so to just, yeah. The official software-defined talk prediction I'm going to make is, like, okay, Ted Sarandos, he will eventually be the CEO left standing. Yep. And this other person, Greg, will either take on a different role, uh, leave to spend more time with the family, or just you know, move, or get promoted to become CEO of somewhere, uh, somewhere else. Because I think we're just saying, at the end, the tech just, it's important but it's not really driving the valuation. And that will be, and that will be really ultimately 
what you were going through before, like Ted's question will be like, does he buy a bunch of studios? Like, does he buy up the catalog of NBC mm -hmm. and uh, some of these kind of lesser streamers or does he truly go out and try to just like make better TV shows, which is not, which is proven. I think Netflix is very hit or miss. I definitely think that's yeah. a skill that they need to get better at. So we're watching Netflix. We're we are literally going to be watching Netflix and Netflix. We're going to watch you. And then I'll just say real quick, you know, JJ, you wanted to mention uh, probably people out looking for jobs right now. There was a flight attendant uh, position yes. uh, posted for Netflix. You want to give us the overview of what that was? Yes, it was, it was bonkers is that they, with all these layoffs happening, they just released a job posting for one of their private jets for over 300 K a year to fly around for a flight attendant. Not, not the pilot, not, not right. anything else, but just, just someone on call to make sure that the executives have someone to make sure they get their safety and security. Cause that's what flight attendants are for. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Hint, hint. Um, so that was very, 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 very. Bizarre. All right. Now I did do a little look at this. So I think, because I saw the same viral headline and it was very funny. I was like, what, what's going on? This? So I think what it is though, is uh, there are certain laws now where you have to post a salary range for a job online and so what if you go look at it it's like the the range was like 60k to six hundred thousand dollars right so i think a lot of companies are doing this when they post the salary range they're posting you know what is a fairly big spread to kind of get around the um like you know just get around like what we're going to pay you right and so i yeah. think that's what was going on there although whoever gets that job is immediately they should make a netflix documentary of that how to become the, exactly. uh, that would be a show we would all watch like Absolutely. Who do they hire? How much do they actually get paid? What's the keeper test for a flight attendant, right? Like what's going exactly. on? And you're like, oh, you didn't, uh, you didn't do this on the plane. You're out. And so it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. KPIs. That. <laughs> That's right. So, um, all right. Well, you know, the other thing I want to talk about with you, because, uh, you know, it's sort of, uh, I don't know if it's officially this way, but I think it's becoming a DevOps day season, you know, sort of like yeah. when the foot, when American football ends, I sort of like look down like, Oh, what's going on? And like, there's all these <laughs> DevOps days that are getting scheduled for, uh, you know, spring, summer and things like that. And you have been a long time, uh, uh, I don't know, I think organizer would be the right word of DevOps Day Austin, which is uh, 2023, which is going to be, when is it going to be this year? It's going to be in May, right? Is that what it is? Every, every year, more May 5th, May 4th and May 5th. Okay. Um, so you've been doing this for a long time and there's a bunch of other uh, DevOps days that are in the um, kind of the show notes here. So you can see what's going on. So I thought that you could take us behind the scenes because I think people will be writing uh, their submissions, right? Like what uh, yeah. proposal uh, for their talks. And so I want to throw out some of these. I want you to react to them. I want you to tell me if you are reading uh, the title of this, like mm -hmm. would you read the abstract and then I want you to give everyone uh, the secret code. How, what does the abstract need to say so that they can get in? So, okay. So we'll, uh, we'll go one. This is really from a uh, coke test. I'm stealing from his work. So it's uh, <laughs> platform engineers. Developers are your customers. Is that title going to grab you? And are, are you thinking, I'm looking at your body language. You're like, mm, it's a little like, uh, you're, you're, I don't think you're feeling it. Like what, what, what is that title telling you? The, the, so there's a whole the right now the trend is towards something called a backstage from mm -hmm. um from Spotify. There's a huge ecosystem that being created and we're starting to see those in DevOps days because mm -hmm. people are trying to build that kind of world. There's enough of a statement there in that line to maybe think it's immediately backstage. So I would actually read the the abstract immediately to see what was what is he trying to tell that story about? And then because it's Cote, I'd say no. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like it. I like it. Well, I feel like there's going to be, um, I feel like half the submissions, we're going to have platform engineering in the title. Like, yes. it, I mean, I just, so I think, I, I don't know, my take on that is like, I kind of uh, feel like this topic is like, I don't want to say it's already been uh, well covered, but it's, it's quickly going through the media cycle, right? It's like so much has been written on it already. It's going to be in a lot of different talks. Like if I'm running the show, like maybe I'm going to give like one or two slots, but I'm going to look for somebody that has like a different take, but mm -hmm. uh, you're going to be just, if you put this in the title, you're going to probably be competing with like half the other submissions. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's that I believe there's a, a one company that said like DevOps is dead. It's all platform engineering now, mm -hmm. or we saw them at KubeCon yep. last year. I forget the name of the company, but everyone knows, you know, the guy with the, the two fingers up over the, the, the meme thing, right? From right. Twitter. Um, so it feels like we, the, the, for lack of a better term, the laggards, the people trying to change that narrative from DevOps to 
platform engineering are starting to show up. And I understand we're trying to change our vernacular, but it's all the same thing. We're all just, you know, trying to make computers, you know, we're trying hitting buttons to make computers do what we want them to do in just different ways. So like using your buzz term buzzword as someone on the CFP committee for a handful of conferences, I'm, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but I would want to actually see what you're trying to say. All right. Um, so high I, bar. I will say, yeah, uh-huh. I will say though, um, please, we, especially on the DevOps days ecosystem, please don't put in anything salesy. Or if you're trying to show off your new project or something you want to like show to an audience, which is absolutely fine. Tell us straight up that you're going to do that. Don't try to hide it in a, in an abstract of like, I just, I, there's this problem. I created this project to do it. I want to show this project off. That right there is a great abstract. I would absolutely love to show a new project that's been created about it. But if you try to finagle it into another narrative, and then we find out after the fact that, hey, it's actually a sales pitch for a small startup that's trying to do something. We just took someone away from our local community who was going to try to tell about a problem that they solved and the way they're doing to put you on stage, which will only bring down the benefit to our greater, greater community. All right. So you got everyone heard it here. That's JJ's annual no uh, hidden vendor pitches in the, exactly. in the proposals. You heard it. Okay. Now what about this one? I think this was a good one. I, I'm so I'm leading it. I wrote these, of course, some of them I like, some okay. of them I don't, but like one I said uh, was like, I want to see someone say like, I built a machine learning model using X data and it does this awesome thing. Right. Like I, and I, obviously I want it to be relevant to like, either that specific domain or I want it to be relevant Mm -hmm. to like, you know, some type of technical topic in general. I'm not looking for another uh, model Mm -hmm. that can identify if uh, the picture is a cat or not. But I just think this is like, I love to see that kind of stuff. It's sort of like, if you will, it's a little chat GPT kind Mm -hmm. of like, but, but for something specifically you're doing, because I'm always really interested in like, you know, if you will, machine learning in the real world used in like specific domains. So like if I personally read one of those, um, and you look like you had something behind the, the scenes, especially if you had like a little demo, like, and, you know, in the session, I'll demo, you know, finding this using the machine learning model. Like I would, I think I'd be all in on that. What do you think? I would immediately, if I saw that, I'd immediately put a comment in for the, the uh, event organizers to say, we need to reach out to this human and ask them to turn this into a workshop. <laughs> Even better. Be, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like legitimately, like if you, are claiming that you've been able to create this thing to do, even if it's a toy app, it's not the typical ones you see online of like how to do the machine learning, but I created this, this model that does this. That is amazing. Yeah. Legitimately amazing. You come and we will highlight you in our, on our event because we want you to teach our community how to do that. And if anything, more people will be involved and it'll just grow. It'll be everybody wins. Everybody wins. I love it. Let's do it. All right, good. Well, all right. So hopefully, hopefully someone can do that one. That's good. Um, and the other one I want to throw out, this will be the last one, and then we'll move on, is because uh, I saw one of this a little bit at a recent meetup, or not too recent, I guess, you know, back here in Cloud Austin, was somebody really went through their experience with EKS. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just say they spent a lot of time on the weaknesses, right? And I was like, this is great. Like, this is just so good because it's like, it, it really is kind of a war story. So I would love to see, and I kind of had this like uh, Azure Kubernetes, uh, Google or AWS or whatever, just sort of like some, somebody that did like an actual bake off between them. I know like we always say, it's like, you shouldn't do, I don't want to do your product pitch, but someone that's kind of done the bake off and is like, here's mm-hmm. what I found. Right. It's almost like, you know, like everyone at a high level, you can be like, well, Emacs or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, Visual Studio or like, you know, mm-hmm. like all these things edit text. And it's so easy to like, just let that gloss over. But then you're like, those products are radically different, right? When you actually mm-hmm. get into them. And it's like, there's things that like, you know, Emacs does well that a lot of text editors don't, right? And it's like, I really like someone that brings to the table, like, especially if they failed, like I did this and I failed with it and we went to this other thing. And here's what we really think about. And um, because I think it's like, I give this, I actually think to myself, like I say this all the time, but like, this is me kind of like almost like judging myself. It's like, I often tell people like, well, you know, all of them have similar features. We can probably make everything work if you're like doing a migration for you. But like, you know, in the end, especially when you're in the practitioner level, like, no, there's going to be some serious things that one does well and one doesn't. And it's like, if you can bring that to the table, because like, there just need to be more education on like, 
this is good for this. This is good for this. Not looking to like for anyone to like, if you will, be like overly negative on one. I mean, obviously if it's justified, maybe, but like, I would love to see that. So if you will, that's a little bit of a, I don't know. I'll let you judge that. Is that too much? Is that too product centric uh, for a, a DevOps talk? Is that maybe something I, I get in the hallway uh, or is that something I could get on stage? Great question. Um, so from my standpoint is that I, first of all, one of the best, um, what was it? Uh, meetups we ever had was a, a bake-off between config managements back in the day, right? People love those, those ones because that's what everybody was using. Same story with EKS, AKS, uh, IBM Cloud, of course, uh, IKS, just saying. Um, the, uh, but the, in, in all seriousness, uh, I would absolutely say give that a thumbs up, assuming you are not an employee of one of those companies, Yeah. right? Yeah. We, we, as CFP committees, we do look on who is submitting the talk, right? We try to figure out, is they actually representative of that company? If they're going to do a bake-off, no. No, nah, absolutely. You don't, that's, that's a sales pitch, right? Or it's close enough to a vendor pitch that we're going to call it a sales pitch. But if you are a third party, like a gaming studio or a oil and gas company, I don't know, whatever you've decided to use and you decided this was my bake off of going between IBM cloud, of course, uh, AWS and Azure. Um, then of course, like I want you, I want your opinion from your standpoint as a practitioner, why did you choose to use OpenShift? Because you should be using OpenShift. Um, now, I, I just see Brandon's eyes just get just I like it. frustrated. No, I mean, you're <laughs> right. Absolutely. Hey, man, I touched yeah. all, I had a little bit of, I, I touched a little bit of that uh, in my days yeah. at IBM. So, no, you're right. And I think, so that's really good. And I also think, you know, the idea, like my dream session is always this. It's like turning the whole thing inverted. It wouldn't really be a DevOps day. Yeah. It's almost like some, it's like a different conference, but it's like, I just call it the Bake Off Conference, where like literally you come together with some community group, say, okay, define a use case, right? Like it's sort of like, this is what the thing needs to do. Like, it's like, you got to like take this Java app, build a container, you know, whatever, deploy yeah. it, boom, 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 boom. So it's like five steps. And it's like, and it, you literally give it to, let the vendors, if they want to do it, they can basically pay to be part of the Bake Off. You can tell them, okay, here's what you have to demonstrate. You give them a script, right? Be like, this is what you have to demonstrate. And you're going to have mm -hmm. 10 minutes to do it. Right. Actually, and, yeah. and then they go one after the other and you actually, what you do is you create like a, um, you know, it's like a, like I have this vision of like, you put somebody in like a, a chamber or they can't hear anything. Right. But it's like, you don't let the other <laughs> vendors watch, you know, because that would be kind of a disadvantage. Right. So it's like, okay, they get their 10 minutes and they have to leave. They cannot see it while it's happening and you have them go, you can like video tank. them, right? You can Shark video them, but I don't want to have class. anyone to have, even the order is not determined. Like you just, you get there, you flip <laughs> points and you Great. tell them, it's like, okay, go, 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 go. Because at the end, right. And then at the end, you can bring them all back up and let them yeah. ask questions. Or you can even, if you will, if you wanted to, you could score it, but you could kind of, but I think it would just be so great for everyone to be like, okay, you know, you saw it and it would just be, in some ways, it's just like a glorified sales pitch. Cause like you, the, the, they're kind of coming to you and they're doing something that's like well understood and it makes it really easy to compare. It's like, Oh, you know, in this vendor, it took 10 steps and this vendor it took one, right. It would really kind of highlight something like that. So I don't know where that's going to happen. Right. But that's what I want. I'm gonna call it the, the lightning bake off is what I want. I want it to happen. I want people to do, I think the vendors, I think, um, it would almost kind of be a little bit of a competitive uh, solution engineering demo, right? There's some people that are really, really good. I think you could get like, if you had like the five best people, if you think about all the vendors you just mentioned, you've got the five yeah. best on stage, right? And be like, all right, let's, let's see who really has it. Uh, I think it'd be super uh, exciting. I realize there's like a million reasons it will never happen, but like the dream, I'm just going to put it out there. Someone figure out how to do it. And if they do email me and I'll make sure that everyone knows about the bake off. So. Have you passed a bite to uh, Ted Sandoz yet? Yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe yeah, that will I mean, be the Netflix documentary it, um, that the Netflix team, right? That Netflix team is super smart. They have a lot of good mm -hmm. use cases. Maybe that's who we do. We go to the Netflix tech team. Be like, hey, tell us the use cases. It's called cases cl your cloud, one, cloud One yeah. Type to Survive. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. It'll it'll be just like, and then it'll be just as popular. Like the Formula One yeah. drivers that are super popular now, they'll just be like, did you see that person? He's the number one guy for this vendor. Like, and everyone exactly. shows up in jackets. Oh, I love it. I'm totally in on it. So, all right, make it happen. Make it happen. All right, JJ. Well, um, you know, we talked a lot about conferences and there are a bunch of conferences uh, for people to go to. There's uh, the Cloud Native Security 
conference. That's February 1st and 2nd. Um, there's the State of OpenCon, which is in London, UK. That's in February. Uh, I guess it's Southern California Linux Expo. Both Matt and Kote are going to be there. There's a discount Me code. Uh, uh, are speaking. you going to be there as well? I don't know. Now yeah. I'm going to have to go. I guess that's an unofficial Software Defined Talk meetup now with you there. Uh, maybe you all can get together and record an episode. You can use the, uh, the code DevOp. That's D-E-V-O-P. Uh, and I was told... Um, that'll be as cheap as your parking. Although it's in Los Angeles, so that can mean a lot of things because I've learned from being in Los Angeles that like parking, very expensive. Uh, and then we mentioned it already, uh, DevOps Day Austin, uh, that'll be May 4th and 5th. And then there's another one, uh, DevOps Days Birmingham, Alabama, as they say, um, as well. And then I think there's a bunch of others happening. It's in Chicago. I'm about to find the dates for that one. That one's usually in the spring. It's August. Yeah, I guess I believe. Yeah. So there's um, a bunch. So I, I believe I believe I'm speaking at uh, uh, Alabama also. You are all right. Roll yeah. tide, JJ. So uh, you know you can go. You can you can bring that Texas uh, um, yeah. twang, if you will, to Alabama. Show them go. how it's really done. <laughs> Uh, now we do have a few things, uh, listener feedback. So I sent some stickers to actually a friend, a personal friend, uh, Mark in California. So he listens to the show. I was happy to send him some stickers. If you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also from the software defined talk Slack this week, uh, long time uh, fan of the show, Jordy. Um, I'm just going to say it. He wrote it. He, he hates the overcast Apple watch. He had a lot of difficulty getting uh, overcast to sync uh, its actual podcast to the Apple watch, which if you're a listener of uh, ATP and things like that, Marco Arment, the developer, he has also complained a lot about that. It's very difficult for Apple and the APIs to do it. So here's a little tip that he recommended that sounds like it does work. Um, if you turn off the Bluetooth on your watch, it will make the watch and your iPhone use Wi-Fi to, to connect. And that uh, connection will be much faster than Bluetooth. So if you're trying to, and I think this goes for any type of syncing files, let's just call it between an Apple watch and uh, your iPhone probably should always be done over Wi-Fi. The Bluetooth, Bluetooth doesn't work. Now, I told Jay, uh, Jordy about this uh, tip, and he still hates Overcast Apple Watch app, so I can't help. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Uh, I still love Overcast, but I don't really use the Watch app as much, but there's a little tip for you. Now, JJ, what recommendation do you have for us this week? Frankly said, we spoke about this earlier, but we kind of glossed over it. Believe it or not, I do like, actually like uh, Apple Plus quite a lot, Apple, and one TV show is uh, For All Mankind. Uh, if you have not seen it, uh, it is a TV show that is arguably, I, I watch a lot of TV and it's arguably in my top five of all time television. Um, it is a, what's it called? Another history or an alternate history about the Russians landing on the moon before the Americans and the, uh, the ripple effects of that. Uh, if you are a sci-fi fan at all, um, you might know the name Ronald D. Moore. He's the one who created the new version of, or the now old version of Battlestar Galactica. Um, this is his other project and it is some of the best TV you'll ever, ever watch. If you don't like the first episode, uh, you probably won't like the rest of the season or series. Um, but I strongly suggest giving that first one a shot, uh, to the moon, if you will. No. Okay. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's well worth it. And, Hit me up on the SCT Slack if you do. Uh, I would love to talk about it uh, and what you think. Yeah, I like it. All right. I, I'm going to tell you, I, I think I watched only the first 10 minutes of mine. I was like, ah, I'm not sure. And so I'm, I'm going to go back. I need to give this a, a deeper watch. I clearly uh, mm-hmm. missed it. So all right, I will report back on um, For All Mankind. All right. Well, my recommendation, it's been kind of a somber week, I think, in the news. We didn't talk a lot about today, but a lot of people may be out looking for jobs for different reasons. So I ran across this book. I really like it. It's uh, called The Psychology of Money. And it's, uh, I guess, uh, Timeless Lessons of Wealth, Greed, and Happiness. And so it's one of these books that was recommended a bunch. And I sort of didn't want to read it because I felt like, oh, you know, I've heard about index funds and how to invest. But this book is really not like that at all. It's sort of like probably takes a lot of ideas that you already know, but kind of really crystallizes it. And I think in a time of a lot of people potentially you know, reevaluating their careers and looking at things and like, you know, wealth and things like that. It has some really good points. It's pretty short. And uh, I really like this about the author is that 
you know, he kind of doesn't, he doesn't actually even apologize for it. He tells you it's great. Like, Hey, listen, I wrote a short book because I want to say what I have to say and, and you can move on. And so what I've done here is there's a link to that. Uh, I listened to it on audio, uh, audible rather, and it was really good. Uh, but, um, I linked to one of his blog posts, ideas that changed my life. So you can go read it for, just read that. Um, mm. and that kind of gives you a sense of like his writing and if, whether that would be interesting to you. So, uh, if you want that, or maybe you find yourself, uh, you know, kind of contemplating what you're going to do next and things like that, this is a good book. I think there's a lot of good reasons, uh, to, to read it, to kind of, if you will, uh, if you will reflect on where you are in your career. So check that out. Uh, also want to reiterate, you know, we talked about Mastodon. So I put, um, my, um, link to my account there and JJ also have your link here. So if you're looking for two people to start with, you can follow us on Mastodon if you yeah. want. And then that'll give you a little bit of bootstrap, if you will, to like uh, <laughs> maybe find at least have something in your feed until you find something better to replace us with. That's uh, completely acceptable <laughs> as well. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, uh, I want to invite you to go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 398. You can see all of the show notes for this episode, you can also find a link to our Slack where you can join up. You can uh, communicate with JJ. Uh, tons of people in there, tons of channels. There's lots of uh, information flowing all the time. I really enjoy the Slack community. It's one of, of like the joys of my day is logging into the Software mm-hmm. Defined Talk Slack. Uh, and then, of course, you know we're on all the other social uh, things. We didn't uh, stream today's episode because of uh, Brandon's uh, technical difficulties, but we're normally on YouTube, so you can sometimes see behind the scenes there as well. And with that, we will talk to you next week. Bye. You did the, you got the Matt Ray in there. That's good. Good for you.